All right, let's uh, jump back in this morning. We're, uh, Eddie and Cindy, we're, we're in the book of Genesis as of last week. And uh, God, God really has just been working on me over the past month. The time we took off of church, really, about the foundations, the foundations of our faith. And as I started last week looking at, at Genesis, I said, I mean, I've never, I've never preached a series. I've never, I've touched on it. There's all these great stories in Genesis, but I've never just taken the book and said, okay, God, show me, show me what you, what you want. I don't want to go straight to Genesis 13 and talk and Genesis 12 and talk about Abraham and talk about the call. I don't want to go straight to the story of Jacob, you know, wrestling with the, the angel. I, I want to start at the beginning and I just want God, you to show me. And so I think he's doing that. And I don't know how long it's going to take. <laughs> we haven't gotten very far because Genesis one is, uh, is something. It's something else. And I'm going to read it again this morning in its entirety, because I think it's just so important. We did this last week, but I'm going to read it. And I'm going to read it from the King James version because it's got this austerity to it. It's got this, this punch to it. It's not the message. It's not broken down. It's, it's just raw and it's, it's beautiful. Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness. He called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from waters. And God made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. God called the the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God, God called the dry land earth. And gathering together the waters, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and the herb yielding seed after its kind and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and for years. Let them be for lights in the fir- let there be for lights in the firmament to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights: the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, "Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that hath life." And fowl that may fly above the earth in an open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living, living creature that moveth, which the water brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every winged fowl after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas. Let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creature after its kind cattle and creeping thing, the beast of the earth after its kind. And it was so, and God made the beast of the earth after, after his kind and, and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the, sorry, the fowl of the earth and over the cattle and over the, the earth, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and re- replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Whew. Heavenly Father, that's your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us, you've authored the beginning for us. You've authored the end. You've authored the in-between. God, let us pay attention to what you say to us this morning. Thank you that your word does not return void. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I said this last week. I mean, Genesis chapter 1. I mean, there's so much going on here, obviously, with creation. But the point, the point is shock and awe. It's worship. You know, it, it's, it's, it's getting to this place of reverent, holy fear again of who God is. Just being captivated by, by a God that would, that would do all of this. A God with this kind of power. And as I said last week, remember, when, when Moses gets this revelation, because Moses is the one who wrote this down, what God was saying about the history of everything. When Moses gets this revelation, he, is a, he was a pagan forever. I mean, he was raised as a prince in Egypt. He was a Pharaoh in the making. He had his education straight. He had his mindset straight. He knew where the world came from. He knew where the, how the world would end all of this because he was taught. It was drilled into him how all this would work. He knew it. He knew it. He knew it just because he meets God at a burning bush and his life has changed does not mean his beliefs got corrected. You see, God had to take him back to square one. He had to take him back to the very beginning and say, I don't care what you've been taught. Here's how it happened. Here's the history of everything, not just of your people, but of people. Here is the history of, of everything. You've got to get this. You've got to get your history straight, Moses. It's hugely important. And people may ask that. Why, Why is it so important? Why is it so important to get your history straight? I think it's huge. I mean, it's huge. We live in a, in a world where we're trying to rewrite history all the time. We're trying to, to, re, to change the things that have happened in the past because we don't want to talk about them. It's important to talk about them because they, they happened. And that's what God is saying. I don't care what you've been taught. I don't care if it's, if it's 3,000 years after the fact. Moses, you've got to go back and look at this because it's, it's huge for you to have your foundation correct in order to move forward. But we live in a time right now where the church is asking, is it really that important? Is it really that important to have our history straight? Is it really that important to, to go back however many thousands of years or billions and billions of years, whatever, to go back and try to decide how it all came to be? I mean, I'm here today, right? However many years ago, September 12th, 1999, I met Jesus. I met him. From that point forward, I'm, I'm pursuing Jesus. Does it matter whether I know for sure how all this stuff came to be, how everything came into existence. Does it matter if I go back into Genesis 1 and grab it and, 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 and hold on to it literally or, or to, to grab that and go, well, I don't know, God revealed a lot of different stuff there and maybe this is allegorical in some way. Does it matter if I go back there and absolutely know for sure what took place? Does it matter that now that I know Jesus and I can live my life? The church is asking this question like crazy right now. Does this stuff matter? Listen, if it didn't matter, God wouldn't have given Moses Genesis. 
If it didn't matter what we thought about the creation of everything, and all I need to know is I'm here now, and I know Jesus, and I can move forward, God would have just skipped this. But he doesn't. Now, this was so important for Moses because Moses had to lead people into a God-pleasing life. He had to take a people chosen by God. He gets that whole history too. A people chosen by God. To, he, he has to take these people out of their pagan environment and teach them the ways of the Lord. You say, well, the law would have done that, right? The law was really important because the law said, do this and don't do that. These people needed governance. Yeah, it, the, the law was really important. But trust me, leading people into the newness of life, life does not start with the law. Paul made it very clear that the law tells us you can't do it. The law says you're, you're incapable of pleasing God. You, you can try, you can try, and you're going to keep failing and keep failing. No, something had to happen before the law. There had to be this, this captivation of people by the God that created them. There had to be this, again, shock and awe, an overwhelming sense that the God of creation knows them, pursues them, pursues them, knit them together, knows them individually by name and wants a relationship with them. They needed to be overwhelmed by that. So Moses had to be overwhelmed first. He needed to be overwhelmed in order to lead people to live a life that pleased God. There's an equation there. Pastors that are not overwhelmed by the presence of God, by who he is, and live in shock and awe of him, they're not going to lead churches full of people that are overwhelmed and living in shock and awe of who he is. And Christians that don't live life overwhelmed by the fact of who he is and that he knows them and pursues them, Christians who are not overwhelmed do not lead people to Jesus, period. And that might hurt. But if we are not overwhelmed by who we we've been looking at the book of Acts on Wednesday night, and it is... They were overwhelmed. They were overcome. People were just losing their minds because Jesus just rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. They were overwhelmed and it looked like it. And their lives were so out there that people were just coming to them and going, I want to be like you. An overwhelmed life leads people to Jesus. But if we look around, not just in this place, I mean, this is a good example this morning, but people aren't just beating the door down to get into churches. People aren't coming to Jesus like crazy. They're not just seeking him out. And the churches that are full this morning, I mean, again, not to speak, it's, I'm the church, we're all part of this. But because people are not living lives of worshipful surrender, overwhelmed by the presence of God, the church is shrinking. And so I think it's crazy important to go back and reestablish a sense of awe and wonder at who he is, of what he's done. You know, we, we talked about last, just, just that, that be falling in love with the who of creation. But I think it's, it, you have to do that first, not just to lead people to Jesus, but you got to fall in love with and be captivated by the who of creation in order to settle into the how of creation. Because from the outside looking in, it sounds like a... Tall tale. It sounds a little crazy. It sounds, it sounds really crazy. But if you're captivated by the God that did create everything, that bara, I said that last week, it's a Hebrew word that means to make something from nothing, to create something out of thin air. God who did all of that, fall, captivated love with him, you began to understand 
the how and why it's important to know the how of creation. I said it last week to, to, to give man credit for writing the book, to give Moses credit for writing, you know, Genesis. It took him a long time. Thank, thank goodness he didn't have to do all that in stone like he had to do the tablets, right? The Ten Commandments, because Genesis would have taken that a long time and a really heavy book. But Moses had to do all this. But trust me, Moses, God, God is too good to trust men to write exactly what he wants. He gave him exactly what he wanted. It wasn't like a collection of thoughts and ideas. And Moses goes, I'm going to put this together. No, God gave him exactly what he wanted us to hear. So when we, when we, when we go back and we look at this, he gives us his word and he says, trust me. Don't trust men, trust me. And we, we say that today. I give you my word, Dan. Why would, I, why would I do that? Because there may be circumstances around this, around what's going on, that may cause you to doubt what will happen. I'm saying, Dan, I don't care what you see. Trust me. I give you my word. God gave us his word. And he says, don't trust men. Trust me. So what God has to say about the beginning, about the how, is really, really important. What does he say about the how? Not a lot. Right? It just hap- it happens so quickly. There's, there's not a lot there. But what is there, we better know why. We better know why it's there. You've got these six days of creation. And that, right, right there, when, when you start talking about these six days of creation, you get this, this uneasy feeling in the room with a bunch of Christians. Much less people that, that, that don't believe that there is a God or that maybe there is a God, but we can't really know him. And you get this, this uneasy feeling about this, this six days. Are they six literal days? Is it 144 hours of creation? What I love about this is, is I've been in arguments, let's say, colorful discussions with believers on this who say there's no way. That God could do this in six days. I'm just stop right there. He's God. Okay, if if you are if you admit that there is a God, and especially if you're a believer and you have you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, so He's proven Himself to be true. And if He's true, then His Word is true. But you 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 go what? He could redeem a soul by giving His life for everyone who ever 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 lived. But to think that God could create. All of this in six days? There's no way. I've, I've just mind blown when I hear a believer say that. That there's no way that God could do that. That, that, is, that is so outside. Again, we're going to talk about this more in depth. But to say that about God is nonsensical. It is crazy. Absurd. What, what words can I use there? But when we look at scripture, we have to understand something. There's a reason why there's a little bit of debate here. Number one, people have a hard time with the word of God, Period. Start to finish. Christians have a hard time with the word of God, period. But when you read this, this section in Genesis of the beginning of everything, he's talking about these days. And understand this, that these, when he says day, first day, it's the word Yom, Yom Kippur, day of atonement. But it doesn't mean a 24-hour period. It means a time, an age, if you will. If we were to use this in English, if we were to use, use it correctly in English, we would, we would say back in the day, right? 
That's how we would use this word. We would use that word like that back in the day. So when you, when you look at it literally and you say, well, wait a minute, these, these word, the word that God is using here for day does not mean specifically a 24 hour period. Does that mean that we have just misread for so long and misinterpreted for so long and that for thousands of years now, we've got this wrong. That these weren't literal days. They weren't six 24-hour time periods, but that they, could, they, were, they could have been ages and eons in each one of these days. Is that, is that what's going on? Well, I will tell you, I don't have to tell you, Gallup will tell you this. That the Western church today, Christianity, greater than 50% of people that sit in churches this morning that identify as Christian would say, yep, we got it wrong. We got it wrong this whole time. 50% of Protestants believe in a literal six-day creation. A young earth. 37% of Catholics believe in a literal six-day creation in a young earth. That blows my mind. And again, when you look at scripture, you go, well, wait a minute. It it says this. It says day, but it doesn't mean a 24 hour period. Therefore, all of this other speculation could can come into this. You know, couldn't it be that God used all these things that we, we, we think might have happened that might be able to fit into this model because it doesn't say specifically that God used six 24 hour periods. And it's, it's gone so far as, as ministries putting weight behind this now. I mean, I, I love Hillsong United. I think they're fantastic in what they do and worship God. But when Joel Houston comes out and says, it's undeniable that the Big Bang happened. I'm like, really? You got a picture, Joel? Did you take a picture of it? Were you there? I can't believe you would come out and say that speculation, an idea, a hypothesis, and say it's undeniable and it's time the church line up with that. When Pat Robertson is calling out Ken Ham and saying, you got to stop it with the young earth stuff. This is the, this is the bride of Christ. This is the church. Holy moly. So when God uses the word yom, why does he use it? Right? Because if you can stand there and go, that's not what that means. It doesn't mean a 24-hour period. Then why does God use the word yom? I will tell you why. I will tell you. Because every time the word yom is used in Scripture, number one, when the word yom is used in Scripture, and it is also accompanied with, with a numerical value on the first day, on the third day, on the fifth day, on the 21st day, when it is used in that, in that capacity, it is always referring to a 24-hour period. Jonah was in the whale, three yams. Jonah was not in the whale, 300 billion years. And then when, when God, God goes straight from, from the story of creation, he's, he's creating for six yams, for six periods of time, hemmed in by, by morning and evening, right? Which we, we, we can start to put this together. And he moves straight into the seventh and he rests. God didn't, did not just walk away from his creation for seven, in the seventh day for a hundred billion years because he was so tired 
No, he was establishing a pattern for our lives. He was establishing a day of rest for us. And so he himself took it. And then he says, this is what he says in Genesis chapter two, thus the heavens and earth were finished and the host of, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. He rested on the seventh day from all the work, which he had made. God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. And then he teaches us directly into the law. Look, you work for six and you take the seventh and you rest. He doesn't say work for 600 billion years and then, then take the seventh, the, the next hundred billion years. No, no, no. It, it, it's, it's hemmed in by time. And even, even the wording, again, the wording is exactly what God intended for us to have. You go back as literal translation as you can, and he's telling them to rest on a day. You don't rest on an era. You don't rest on an age of time. You, you, you rest on a day. So again, why does Moses, why is God, when he's, he's speaking the verbal plenary inspiration of the word of God, why does God say yom to Moses? He's not a deceiver. Number one, he's not trying to make us guess at what his word is saying, but he uses, he uses the word yom because it was a unique time. It was hemmed in by evening and morning, our 24-hour period. But it was, it was a unique time frame in which God did something special, something unique. He did unique things at unique days. They didn't flow from one to the next. They were, they were an age within themselves where God did something totally unique, totally wonderful. And the fact that they are hemmed in by evening and morning tells us God did this amazing time of creation and it falls within a 24-hour period. The same one that I see every day as the sun rises and the sun sets. He removes our right to guess and make up our minds for ourselves on how he did it. He says, here's my word. This is how I did it. Now, I can't, I can't take that and, and tell somebody out there that that's what's, that's what's happened and expect them to go, well, yeah, I look around. Surely, God, if he's, if he's real, he, I mean, this, this God did this and it only took him 144 hours. No, no one's just going to naturally think that. But listen to what Paul says about creation. Romans chapter 1. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I mean, you can't help but look at creation and go, gosh, God, how about there's, there is an uncaused cause here. There's a designer. It, it's, it's fantastic to look at the leaves, that, the, the, the leaves that grow on some plants that people will never even see. And the symmetry and the beauty to something as complex as an eye that, that I, I, can't even, I can't even begin to understand how... I, with the muscles that contract and, and lenses that move and, and light being ch- changed into nerve impulses. It's clearly seen by what has been made. 
that there's a designer to this thing so that men are without excuse. But, but my question is, what about believers who look at all of this and say, yeah, I believe in who Jesus is. I mean, I've, I've met him or I, I identify in this, in this capacity, but I'm sorry, that's too much. I'm sorry, there's, there's too much science. I'm sorry, the evolutionary theory, I mean, has, has explained all of this to me. And I will say to that, first off, evolution, macroevolution is not proven. It cannot be proven. You can't take the scientific method and apply it. You can't have a control group and a change group. You cannot watch this thing take place. You can't. You can't watch this thing take place. And I will give you that microevolution takes place all the time. That within, within a species, within an animal, within mankind, we change because God is good. Right? He did not build us just cookie cutter and say, boy, that one's going to kill you off. That one's going to kill you off. No, he's, he, he made us brilliantly with the capacity to change. And not just us, but every animal, every creature with the ability to change in and of itself. But to call that, to call microevolution, what we can see and observe right now here today, to call that evidence of macroevolution is nonsensical. It, it, it does not hold up. We've, you cannot call microevolution that takes place in us evidence of something simple becoming something complex. You can't do it. There's no way to, to, to say, to say well, what I see happening within the species of any given order or, or in mankind himself, what I see happening within the, in the life of, of a man is proof that, that slime became mankind. That something so simple became human. That's ridiculous. The theory of evolution, it's a hypothesis. It's a, hmm, I wonder... It's, a, it's an angry Englishman who went to some islands and began to draft an idea apart from Christianity of how this thing could have happened. It's not provable. It, can't, it doesn't hold up. You can't test it. You can't experiment with it. Yet it is being accepted as fact by believers, by Christians. And to that I say, shame on us. Shame on the church for abandoning what God has said to us and the evidence we see around us. And again, you may say, look, it's not that big, that big a deal. But I would say it's a huge deal because listen, Christians, Christians who will allow the world to shape, to shape their view, who will allow modern education, allow whatever, to shape their view on what God did in the very beginning, how he authored life. If we will allow the world to shape that for us, there's nothing we won't allow the world to shape for us. Everything starts to be, it starts to be relative at this point. If the foundation of everything cannot, if we can't hold on to that and swear by it, then why do we got this book? Now, can I really trust what Jesus did? Can I really trust that what was written there was true and that it's true for me? And so I begin to question all sorts of stuff. This is why, here's why this, this creation event is so important to get right. It's the foundation for everything. But God did something unique on day six. God did something entirely different on day six. 
the end of Genesis chapter one, we, we read this before, but God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have, ca- have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God made man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God goes back in Genesis chapter 2. says, I'm not done explaining this to you, Moses. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. See, God went through the trouble of separating these days. These yams, these yams, these these particular periods of time. Not so we would know what happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we could could be a JBQ thing, or we know what happened on day three, we know what happened on day four. But for us to realize that these were uniquely separated from each other. And more than anything, that, that, that all of these days were separated from day six. And even day six has its own unique separation right in the middle of it. Listen, God being God, if he's God at all, could absolutely use evolution. He could have, bang. And from the mind of God and the heart of God, all this brilliance could have happened. But if he would have done it, he would have told us or he's not worth following. Again, we have a deceiver and it's not God. His name is Lucifer. He's a liar from the beginning. And so where there, where there is a, a story, where there is an idea that contradicts the word of God and how God said it to be, God is not the one deceiving us. He's given us truth. If God, if God had decided, and I, I, I tell people all the time, when I get there, he can prove me wrong. But until then, I'm holding on to the word of God as it, as it reads, as it states. Because if, if he had, a God, he, he would have said on the, on the third day, God spoke and there was life in the water. And the waters began to teem with living creatures. And God gave these creatures the amazing ability to rise from the water. And these creatures took on different forms. These creatures became different types of animals. And some of these creatures began to fly. And some of those creatures that didn't begin to fly, they moved on to land. And as, as God gave these creatures abilities, these, these creatures began to learn and begin to have intellect. And then there was, there was one creature that became so intellectual, it began to reason about who God was. And that was mankind. And God saw that he was very good. I don't know how he would have written it, but that's what it'd been something like that, right? He would have told us. He didn't tell us because it didn't happen that way. He didn't, he didn't have to make up the story. He said exactly what happened. And he separates each and everything out so there wouldn't be any doubt that day two and day three were separate from each other. And day three and day four and day four and day five and, and five into six. Those things were... Completely, they were their own yam. They were their own specific time period captured in a day. But the lines didn't blur. The lines didn't blur. And when it comes to this creation of man, he has to go back and, and, and say it twice. He, he, he recaps it. There's something that there's several things that are so important for us to grab onto here. The first is when you get to, when you get to this day six, he's making living creatures. And then he stops. 
He makes the beasts of the field. And then the triune God stops and self-confers. It's one of the most fascinating things in Scripture. He says, Father, Son, Spirit. I don't know how this works. Let's make man in our image. And when he says that, listen, this was not like a, I got an idea. Let's make man. Let's make someone that looks like us. No, 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 no. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, and the first part, the first half of day six were so that he could give it to man. He created everything around for the purpose of creating man. And he gives it to him. I mean, right off the bat, he gives him dominion. He gives him everything that he had created, right? He introduces man at the end of, uh, at the end of, of day six and gives it all to him. But when he, before he does that, I mean, this is the, the, the beautiful thing. Is he stops and says, I, we're going to make him just like us, just like me. I'm going to make this one in my image, Imago Dei image of God. If there is anything that the evolutionary theory erodes and destroys, it's that God stops creation and says, I am making man in my image to be my likeness. To look like me, to be like me, to to be a glory bearer here on earth of who I am and and what I like, what I am like. Not a a ball of slime with a a plan attached to it. You know, we were were not science experiments in the making with, with the idea that someday we would be ready to receive revelation of who God is or, or receive his Holy Spirit. Listen. God's plan before the foundation of the world was that Jesus Christ would come in the form of mankind. And to think that God would say, yeah, I'm going to start this whole thing off by just this ball of of snot out there that's going to become this, this race that then I'm going to deem worthy of coming as is crazy. No, mankind, Adam, was created fully, completely mature as man to be his image on earth, to be the image, imago Dei, to be the image of God here on earth, to be his glory bearer, his likeness, to take care of this thing that he created. From the very beginning, man knew him and was known by him. That's huge. That's huge for us, for us to, to grab a hold of because believer or non-believer alike, you stack it up. If, if we don't get that, then the worth of a human life is just diminished. That we were unique, created, formed in Adam, capable of knowing, receiving, and having fellowship with God on day six. 
And that brings us to another thing here that, that's just important for us to grab. Because when he, he, he recaps this story, he clarifies something to us here in Genesis chapter 2. God just, he's cruising along. I mean, let's go literal here. It's, it's five pretty busy days. Fantastic stuff happening. He gets to six and, and all of a sudden there's, there's creeping beasts, Matt, and they're delicious. The beasts of the field. And he stops there. He says, let us make man in our image. As we've always planned Let's make one that looks like us. But he doesn't just speak it. And that's the thing, because day after day, God had just, it's, he, he says, he makes. He says, he makes. He says, he makes. It's just, it's coming forth. But when you get to man, he, he doesn't just say something. He gets, he gets his hands involved. And you know, up to this point, God is barah. He's, he's made everything out of nothing, but when it comes to day six, this is, this is, this is artwork. Cause he, it says he gathers the dust. He gathers the elements. It's all there. The carbon, the oxygen, the magnesium. What are we made of? Calcium, water. I don't know. H2. He gathers them and he forms man. There is, there is not, and again, as beautiful as the creation story is, day one through, through six and a half, that just from the mind and the heart of God, these things come and there's so much beauty. That is not what happens here. God touches. God says, exactly like me. Exactly how I want them to be. Perfect. I can just, he's God and he's creating people. He's creating Adam and within Adam, the traditionary, you know, understanding is we were in Adam. He's the father of all of us. He was putting him together perfectly with his hands on him. God does not run from humanity. He did not go somewhere and hide once he created everything. If anything shows us the heart of God right here for man is that he's involved personally. From the very beginning, getting his hands on him. And then this amazing thing happens. If it's not amazing enough. He breathes life into mankind. Again, everything up to this point, God is just saying and it's happening. But he stops. And he forms and he makes man exactly as he wants him to be. And then it's that kiss. It's, he just. Whoa. And he fills man with life. God, who is spirit, gave spirit to mankind. And man became a living soul, scripture says. That's different. That's different. That is not another beast of the field. That is not another animal that will live and die. That is not just another creature. This is God's little glory bearer holding from the very beginning, holding his spirit. And that brings us to, to really the last thing I got to say about this. I got a lot more to say about it, but I'm going to say one more thing maybe today. For five days, 
Five and a half. God does all of this. And then he introduces man. And the first thing he does is give it all to man, right? Gives every, this, this is all for you. This planet is yours. Those stars, they're yours. They're, they're, for, they're for you to enjoy. These planets, and the light you haven't even seen yet. This is going to be a surprise. I've, I've placed stars out there that you're not going to even be able to see the light until year 2018. That's not to be, well, I guess if, that, you know, if that's 800 billion years away, that must mean how old, that's how old we are. No, God in his brilliance doesn't want us to be, never wanted us to be not captivated by what he did. And so he puts these things all for man. And then he, he, he creates man and he breathes his spirit into man. Why? Because man belongs to him. People belong to God. You see, as, as, as the church gets further and further away from a literal understanding of what God did at creation, they get further and further away from the fact that their lives are not their own. You are not just another animal that gets to live. No, God gave spirit unto man. It's his. There's this ominous sense of ownership when you begin to understand that God breathed his spirit into you. It's still his. And so the breath that I take and the work that I do and the words that I say, they don't belong to me. Believer, non-believer alike, mankind belongs to him. We understand the work of the cross. We understand that redemption means he bought us back. He owned us from the beginning. And it's that understanding, that realization, and it starts here in Genesis 1, that my life is not mine. That in Adam, I was crafted. I was authored. I mean, he hung a tag on me and said, this is the Steve Axtell model that I made. And it wasn't for a, a trophy. I'm not a trophy. He wasn't like, look at that up there. Look what I... Look. No, he formed me in Adam. He formed you in Adam. And he gave you life that belongs to him. And what I love about God is he's not going to leave you alone until he has you. He's not going to leave you alone until, until each and every one of us realize the breath we have, it's his the time we have, it's borrowed. The work we do, it's as unto the Lord or it's supposed to be. It starts with the foundation. 